Welcome to Andrea's and John's Picks of Ingredient Insiders, our favorite episodes from the Ingredient Insiders archives. Yeah, this is going to be a great one, Andrea. I We recorded back in July of 2021 with Christian Petroni and talked all about Parmigiano-Reggiano. Parmigiano-Reggiano is near and dear to my heart. I have grown up with this cheese. I even mentioned on the episode, uh, in my house, we don't call it Parmesan. We call it sprinkle cheese. Uh, my little sister, that's what you know. she called it growing up. And it's also the most favorite cheese of my wife. So this, this episode is super near and dear to my heart. Um, it's also a top seller at Chef's Warehouse. So I think that it's the king of cheeses and it needs another episode. Welcome to Ingredient Insiders. I'm John Magazzino. And I'm Andrea Parkins. Each week, we'll be having fun and candid conversations with amazing chefs about their favorite ingredients. We'll also be talking to artisan food makers about their products. On today's episode, we're talking Parmigiano Reggiano, a.k.a. Parmesan cheese. The king of cheese. It really is. It's one of my favorites. I grew up, you know, in a Italian Jewish home and my Italian side, my sister, Rachel, super picky eater, uh, she called it sprinkle cheese. So my whole life, my Italian grandparents would say, pass the sprinkle cheese. How did you grow up eating Parmesan? My parm was a tale of two Parmesans, <laughs> a tale of two cities. One would be the parm that was freshly grated, the real deal, chunks of parm off the, the wheel that my grandmothers would grate freshly right before serving. And then there was the parm of my suburban Westchester home in Larchmont, New York, that was, I cringe every time I say this, but it was the green shaker of Kraft Parmesan, whatever it was. You just admitted that to everyone listening that you... I'm not... Listen, I'm not denying my roots. But uh, no, I, I didn't like that cheese. I don't even know that it was cheese. Speaking of cheese, so Andrea, today coming into the studio is just the sweetest guy. He's a rock star. He's super talented in the kitchen too. His name is Christian Petroni. I've been following him on Instagram for quite a while. Yeah, but I've never met him. He's a rising star with the Food Network. He is, a, you know, he's a chef. He's had restaurants in New York for years. Mm -hmm. You know, when I think about him, I think about old school red sauce Italian. Joints. I yeah. think about pizza. I think about joints too. Yeah. What kind of joints are you talking about? <laughs> red sauce joints. Yeah, red sauce joints. He sent me to an old school Italian joint called Silvio's and Yonkers. You know, we'll talk about that with him for sure. Just he, he's, a, he's a wealth of knowledge about Italian food in the New York area and, and really around the country. When you go to a red sauce joint, I feel like everybody has a dish that they compare, you know, every place to. Like for me, it's linguine vongole or spaghetti vongole. Yep. What is that dish for you? I'm going to say their tomato sauce. Just like a marinara? Or their gravy. Yeah, the gravy. quality of the red sauce, the quality of the sauce, even for a pizza maker, the quality of that sauce, that to me is kind of their standard. So we're excited to have Christian Petroni here. And we're also excited to have Giacomo from Ambrosi Cheese on the program. And, and we're going to talk about the real nuts and bolts of how Parm is made. Parm has been around, I think the earliest records in Italy, Parm was being served in 800 A.D., 
it's that long a history. The very shape of the Parm wheel itself, it's a wheel. Yes. Think about it. Even though it's extremely big and they're extremely heavy, the wheel of Parm was very easy to roll from the region of Emilia Romagna, mm -hmm. in the center of Italy, to the ports. I mean, I'm sure they put it on a horse and trolley, but it made it very transportable. Yeah. Have you ever been to a Parmigiano production facility? I have not. I've been to some other types of cheese facilities. I've seen a bunch of cheddar being made, but I've never seen parm. You know, cheese making itself is interesting to watch. But what's amazing about parm is if you ever get to visit where they age the parm, because there, there are these enormous warehouses in Emilia Romagna in the center of Italy where a wheel of parm is very expensive mm -hmm. and it has to age for typically a minimum 18 months. I think the sweet spot for most Parm is about 24 months of age. So you're talking about two years. But they have these enormous warehouses with thousands of wheels of Parm in them. And you talk about an inventory value that's in the millions of dollars. Yeah. But it's quite a sight to see where you see these just thousands of wheels sitting there quietly aging, aging getting ready to be transported all around the world and Italy. I read that when they are testing to see if the Parmesan wheel is ready, they do it by hearing. There's some sort of a mallet or something where they tap the side of the Parmesan wheel. It's like a master cheese monger. You're exactly right. They do. It's a little hammer. And these master cheese mongers, I think that's the official title, the MCM. <laughs> <laughs> the MCM goes in there and taps on the wheel and listens very carefully. And what they're listening for is imperfections in the cheese. If there's any kind of hollow area inside there, if there's any kind of issue with density where the form didn't come out right. Mm hmm. You know, that's really what they're listening for. It's fascinating. And then, they, you know, each wheel of Parmigiano Reggiano is branded actually with a hot iron that tells you exactly what farm, yep. what milk, where the milk came from. The date that it was branded. So you know how many months age exactly. it was. Whether it was a spring milk or a winter milk or a summer milk. It's, it's pretty amazing. We are so lucky today, Andrea. We have Chef Christian Petroni, so seriously talented. Coolest guy. He's friends with everybody in the business. It's crazy. It's true. Guy Fieri. Mm -hmm. The Frankies in Brooklyn. You know who I'm talking about? Yep. Falcinelli. Mm -hmm. Castronova. Yep. yep. Those guys. Yeah. Chris Bianco. And that's just a couple of people. He's mm -hmm. friends with everybody. So how did you get your start in cooking and food? I was 12 years old and I lied to my first employer, Nat and Mario of Alex and Henry's in Scarsdale, New York. Rest in peace to both of them. Legends. The, the working age was 13 at the time. Mm -hmm. They gave me my first job. I was a bar back, you know, and I remember going home those first few weekends and putting my head on my pillow as a 12 year old kid. Imagine a 12 year old kid in that environment. And then now imagine a bus bin filled with forks, knives, and spoons that is just cha, 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 cha. And that is all I could hear in my brain. It became like that rush and like- Like, like an addiction. Oh it's yeah, yeah. It's a lifestyle. It yeah. just felt good, yeah. It, it's, yeah, I felt, I felt right, I felt at home, you mm -hmm. know? Man, the characters, the characters. And Alex and Henry's was like the place for weddings, communion parties. Mm -hmm. I, I, it's funny, event, I haven't heard the name happen. Alex and Henry in probably 35 or 40 years. But I grew up in Westchester, Italian family, roots in the Bronx. Mm -hmm. And that was like 
the place? That's where you went. They started in the Bronx. Is that, it still was, there? Um, no, no, no. The first Alex and Henry's was in was in the South Bronx, and that's where my father got married mm -hmm. when they, he came to this country and met my mom. What you don't remember about Alex and Henry's in Westchester was an epic dining room for a la carte. And I have only snapshot vague memories because I would only be really be allowed to go into that area to get ground espresso for my Viennese tables, right? Was the food good? Dude. For a catering hall, you know? No, but that's the thing. The, the a la carte restaurant apparently was a thing of legend. You know, I had the stage in the middle and they would have uh, jazz singers. And I remember the red velvet boots, but like in a very high end sort of way and like if that was existing today, I mean, if I that was preserved. those red sauce joints mm -hmm. of years gone by. Last week was my dad's 80th birthday. Oh, Carmine Magazino, the big ragu. Give him a shout out. <laughs> Love what it. We call him. And he grew up in the Bronx of the 1950s and red sauce Italian joints were nothing new to him, but they're a dying breed. And now you have this resurgence with Carbone in New York City and some other places around the country. But... I wanted to take my dad somewhere where, not fancy, but just kind of have that vibe. And so, of course, the first person I think to call is Christian. In honor. And he says, you got to go to Silvio's in Yonkers. You haven't stopped talking about Silvio's since uh, you went to Silvio's. I haven't. Oh, I because, love that. Yeah. first of all, <laughs> I'd never heard of it. And it's only, you know, it's within a 20-mile radius of where I grew up. And it's been open for over 35 years. Anyhow. Long and short of it, we go. The food is very good. The atmosphere is exactly what I expect. It's in Yonkers, New York. But I ordered one thing. My daughter, Sienna, my daughter, Olivia, was there. And he had three pasta specialties. And we ordered almost everything on the menu because it's a great value. Fettuccine Alfredo. Yeah. The, the best. And, and I'm saying the he best. He has not shut up the about best, the fettuccine Alfredo. I couldn't believe so how good it was. Yes. And I'm talking, I'm comparing it to like Rome. Better than Italy, better than at the level of a Michael White, who I consider a great pasta maker in mm -hmm. America, at the level of a Michael Tusk in San Francisco, who's a great pasta maker, wow. a Missy Robbins in Ooh. Brooklyn. Silvio, Amazing. <laughs> so Silvio came over to the table. The best. And I said, I really believe this is the best fettuccine Alfredo, maybe the best pasta I've ever had in my life. The noodles themselves, I always describe when you eat perfect pasta, it's like eating clouds. Mm -hmm. It's so light. And there's silkiness in your mouth. Trotta. So right off the bit. And I didn't ask him, does he make his own noodles there? Trotta Foods. T-R-O-T-T-A. He deserves a shout out. Uh, he, need, uh, he deserves a shout out. I got to go visit the guy. The, we should sell their the pasta. Pana, the cream. Again, I don't know what it is. Exceptional. You got to go. It's just a sin that more people don't like know that Silvio's there and doing it right. For me, what, what your fettuccine Alfredo what is to you yeah. is when I get... Uh, penny alla vodka there, dude. It, oh my God, it's right. I'm going back. His focaccia rivals the focaccia of the guy. Evan uh, Funky. Fun yeah, Evan. Which, by the way, I love that restaurant. Silvio's focaccia is like creme brulee on the bottom with that like glass crisped up olive oil sort of like stained glass window mm -hmm. of the bottom of, of a focaccia and then literally cotton candy on top of it. We, White tomato and raw garlic. Yeah, we had a basket of that and then he came back and said, do you want a refill? And everybody's heads bobbed up and down. Oh man, I can just Dipping? Keep, the whole thing. Yep. This is a perfect segue to what our ingredient is today, by the way, because we're talking about fettuccine Alfredo and we're talking about penne vodka. What do you put on top of it? What's better on top of either of those dishes than more grated Parmigiano Reggiano? The undisputed king. It is. It's the king, the of, king cheeses. of cheese. It really is. Yeah. 
It's like, I just, I'm Why do you love it so much? What is it? There's got to be a chemical reason for it. <laughs> I mean, you know what it is? I'm it addicted is. to it. We've yeah. talked about umami. Mm-hmm. Parmigiano is the essence of umami. Right? Yeah. I don't think, you know, Italians didn't invent the word umami. And they probably, I didn't know what umami was till a couple of years ago, or I still don't, not quite sure I'm I know what it is. I'm still trying yeah. to figure it out. But there's something about when you put that cheese in your mouth, does something. Yeah. It makes even, you salivate. Yep. You can put the rind inside of a sauce to give it like body and extra flavor, that umami that you're talking about. There's so many uses for Parmesan. Right. Because like it can be so delicate, just like a brothy pastina, just a little over the top, you know, with a little bit of Frank's olive oil, you know, you can do like cavatelli with sausage and broccoli robin, just a handful of Parmesan and yeah, olive oil and butter and you just make in pasta water and it's just like it's life i love when you have really good parm and it's got the crystallization mm. in it i was just gonna say that crunchiness to it that's the good stuff too. that's the real good stuff the more i think about it it's so versatile mm-hmm. i love it on asparagus but you can all, not just you know listen there's grating mm-hmm. there's shaving with a vegetable peeler if you want or a mandolin there's the, micro play yeah, the micro plane I used to think the only way to get the parm onto, if we're finishing a dish, was with the microplane, that fine feathery parm, which melts right in, which is nice and it's beautiful. And I think there's a place for that. I think that works best on salads, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, I was doing a dish the other day at the ranch, at Guy's Ranch. I was putting together with a vegetable episode, root vegetables, cured roasted carrots and walnut crema from Nate Appleman, you know, one of his early, early recipes. Mm-hmm. And then there was, it got finished with Parmesan. Is it going to get grated on with a box grater with chunky, thick A little grates? heavier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are we going to go with the microplane and just, you know, try to create a cloud that looks like a puppy, mm-hmm. you know, get that cloud <laughs> as high as we can over it? Are we going to take a peeler and do slices? I end up doing slices because you just add a texture to the dish, right? You know what I mean? Because now they can take a piece of that nice shaved thick piece of parm and cut through a carrot, spear the parm, smear through the I like that way in salads too. If I want a Caesar salad on the top, I will take the peeler and shave on the the top. I'm a microplane guy with that. I do love that fluffy, get a cloud of... I like fluffy on the pasta. I know what we can do. Yeah. Both. Yeah. (laughs) No rules. Get both textures on there, gang. (laughs) Let's go. It's so versatile. It's so amazing. I really can't think, I can't think of another cheese that has this many incarnations that can, how, just again, we're talking about four or five different ways it can be grated just for weight and texture and mouthfeel. Is there anything that parm you will not pair with? I know there's like this no cheese and seafood thing, but I, I don't know with, Vongole, I want it. I would never put parm on my uh, vongole. There's no rules, right? It's like the gravy and sauce thing, Mm -hmm. in my opinion. Okay? Mm -hmm. If your nonna, nonni, mommy, grandma called it gravy, who the hell am I to tell you that you're wrong? If they called it sauce, who the hell am I to tell you that you're wrong? So in my house, we called it sauce. You want to call it gravy? I know. We got bigger fish to fry again. <laughs> we were a gravy house. What about you? I was a gravy house. Yeah. But then at some point it turned to a sauce house. Well, you probably got bullied and stopped calling it you gravy. You think so? Probably because everyone was I think bullying you're probably the, right. the gravy folks because mm-hmm. technically it's not gravy. Right. But, you know, not, you know, we don't need to get into that whole conversation. <laughs> right? Because, like, we're not talking about that. No, but uh, what was I comparing it to? The sauce gravy was the, uh, oh, cheese, the, no cheese, right? Cheese, no cheese with the seafood. I'm on my honeymoon. We're up in, in, in Venice. 
uh, me and my beautiful wife, Sherry, who's way out of my league. And we went to a restaurant called Gatonero that I, I finagled a reservation into last minute because you just, it's not that kind of place. We get there and I order all the stuff that are, you know, the, the staples of the island of Burano, which is a little island off the coast of, of, of Venice, like, you know, 30 minutes away. And um, they specialize in lace and they got this great restaurant called Gatonero, the black cat. The classic dish of that island is a risotto made with those lagoons, sort of, you know, those mm -hmm. fish that they strain. They don't, they don't use the meat. They just use the fish for the flavor in their mm -hmm. stock. Mm -hmm. And they make this risotto where they are like, flipping the pan and the risotto like flies up in the air and it aerates it and it makes it even creamier. So I'm like, oh, I'm getting the risotto. And my wife for the like 57th time in Italy for those three weeks ordered spaghetti vongole, right? It's her favorite dish. That's her mm -hmm. go-to. And obviously at some point I take a twirl of hers and when I tell you like it was like one of those pool balls like smacked me on the side of the head. I said, this tastes really different. And what was different was it about it was that they put a little bit of parmigiano reggiano in their sauce and their you know in the it broth was, it was white wine it was a very white wine forward is how i make my spaghetti clams now literally based on that it was a couple of plum tomatoes uh cherry tomatoes a lot of uh, uh suave suave yeah, the, 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 wine. The, the wine from veneto so there's no broth it, it's the, the wine is probably you go heavier with wine if anything that wine you know steams the clams open you put the pasta in that water starts to thicken from the starch in that pasta as it's being introduced into the pan then these sickos take a little bit of parmesan at that point and mount it with that and some olive oil now let's do we pull have it any back. clams let's pull <laughs> well, let's pull it back right to you can't have seafood with cheese. No, okay. No, listen. I think you changed my mind just there. That, just that it. description. Yes, it's cheese, but it's kind of bringing it back to the beginning. It's that umami flavor that it brings to the dish. It's it's depth that you wouldn't ordinarily get. Right. And sometimes when you get a linguine vongole, it's kind of flat. There's so much fat on there that you're not really tasting the wine or any acid if you're adding lemon. I think the cheese just adds It's a depth some of flavor. Body. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's it's almost like uh, an anchovy. Do you like anchovies, Christian? Oh, yeah. I think uh, sneaking an anchovy in, no one needs to know. You know I love saying? anchovies. I love anchovies. Do we not like anchovies? No, we love anchovies. We love, we just oh, want to. There's a big anchovy. Okay. Oh, We're like yeah. big it's anchovy big. people. This podcast was almost called the anchovy. Got it. Okay. I, I'm looking at you too. <laughs> and, uh... We're just asking every chef who comes on their opinion on anchovies because we feel like they kind of have a bad reputation. Oh, yeah. I love that. So yeah. can you eat the parm rind? Because I take, I love putting it into when I'm making a chicken stock, if I want to do something like put it into the broth and then mm -hmm. it softens up. Can you eat that? I played for years with frying rinds. You want it to be good. Never is. It never is. Yeah. Maybe there's a dehydrating play to be had before frying. Uh, maybe you sprinkle a powder over it. I never seen before that, you know, the fancy chefs cook with, I don't know. Yeah. But, um, no, when it comes down to it, you're just extracting as much flavor as possible from that rind, which happens to be yeah. a lot. Have you ever had pasta that is tossed or stirred in the Parmesan wheel? I have. I've had that and risotto also in the yeah. Parmesan wheel. When I was a young cook working for Anthony Goncalves 
in White Plains, New York. He had a restaurant called Trotters, uh, no relation to Charlie. That was the first time I had ever seen it. And, you know, you got you to remember it was a very different time back then, right? So, like, you, you weren't scrolling through Instagram mm -hmm. for your inspiration. You were getting it from either cookbooks, early Food Network, and at that time, Discovery Channel, which is crazy because now they're one. When Anthony was like, yo, we're going to get this Gary Dong and we're going to put it in the dining room with a burner. Um, we're going to split a wheel of parm. It's like, all right, how do we split a wheel of parm? You know, right. that's kind of how, mm -hmm. how I learned everything. You know what I mean? And that's a process, cracking a wheel of parmigiano oh, open. So much fun. Now I just take so much pride in knowing how to do it because of the fact that I didn't and taught myself. Yeah, if you've never seen a whole wheel of parm, I'm assuming most people have seen it, but this is a big piece of cheese. I don't, and in fact, I think it's the biggest and heaviest piece of cheese that's made in the world. I think it's 80 pounds. It's about 80 pounds. Yeah. You're right, Andrea. Yeah, good. Well done. Age 24 months. Do they crack a wheel of Parmesan at Parma Palooza? Oh my gosh. Guys. Oh my God. Talk to us about Parma Palooza. That's coming up <laughs> in August. <laughs> Guys, I just read dream. about it on social media. A dream? You mean you're talking about a dream? You want to hear about my dream come to reality? Yes. Sure. Let me tell you about it. <laughs> you know, for years, I've wanted to do a food festival where I get to wear a sash. Like a beauty pageant winner. Yeah. Prom king. I want to be the, the pageant winner. Oh, no, no, I'm kidding. But I've always wanted to do this food festival that highlighted... Um, not only Parmigiano-Reggiano, but the Italian-American chefs that have embraced it and do great things with it, even if they're not Italian. Years later, I got approached by the, the awesome gang from Hay Stanford who run the Hay Stanford Food Festival. They were like, dude, what do you say? We take one of the, one of the days and, and we do your Palmer Palooza. It's going to be between like five and 10,000 people. Um, there's going to be a big stage and I'm going to have a kitchen on. I'll be up there with like Rocco de Spirito demoing a dish with a big screen and like we'll have um, brought out, you know, a couple thousand portions for people to kind of like taste. And have you ever seen what Christian does? Like he... he he does some of these. I follow him on Instagram. Yeah. When he I'm says a fan. It's, it's definitely not a, it's not a cooking demo when no. he's up on stage or when he's in the kitchen. It's a show. It is absolutely. That's exactly the word show. He just goes over the top, whether he's making this giant board of polenta or whatever it is. It's like, but you know, the guys, wow. the, the cuisine does all the work, man. What's the future for Christian Petroni? Where are you cooking? What are you doing? What are the plans? I feel pretty lucky. I got signed to a, a new deal with, with Food Network for the next few years. Congratulations. Which is, thank you. Yeah, which, Amazing. Is, which, Congrats. Is, which is very cool. I'm figuring out a new world, not in the restaurant business, always supporting the restaurants I love and doing pop-ups nonstop and, you know, the famous word collaborations. We got to come up with a new word for that. It's going to Dezores, you know, to be able to take a step back and say, all right, like, oh, let's concentrate on getting this cookbook deal done. Let's concentrate on doing more of this. Someone that I admire, like Magazino, mm -hmm. who I, I say this to a lot of my 
Food Network pals that I've, I've been fortunate enough to become friends with with Magazino as well is I was a I was a fan before we were friends kind of situation. I mean that's my life right now is somehow become like everyone that I've ever fucking cared about or cookbook I've owned and looked at millions of times, saw on television and went to their restaurants. We're honored to be here with you. Yes, it's really great. I am signing the lease on a three thousand square foot uh, warehouse in the Hudson Valley. That's going to be a private creative workspace for me. It's going to uh, wow. working with Monogram to put a uh, nice. lovely kitchen in there. There's a skybox and I'll be able to run Gabagool Media out of the space, uh, a chef's table for 20 people. I feel I go back to the word lucky that I, I get to kind of hopefully if this works out, right, <laughs> uh, like do this on my terms. Um, for the first time, really. Do you um, feel like COVID helped you make oh, these decisions? COVID was pretty good to me. Breaks my heart to say that, but I feel, um, again, lucky that COVID worked out, that it didn't take my family down. You know, just kind of, it forced us to think differently and it worked out. As horrible as everything about COVID, the disease was and all the tragedy and, and, and heartbreak, it gave a lot of people a lot of time to think. That's why we're here. And a lot of it, yeah. John and I thought of this during COVID. Yeah. Wanting to talk to chefs and their experiences and their ingre favorite ingredients. We needed an outlet for all that energy. We like to talk about food and here we are. It's perfect, you know, and what a time to be able to talk about food because like you said, during COVID, people had an opportunity to think and I think that <laughs> a lot of people were like, I don't know if I want to do this restaurant thing anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't know if this is, if it's worth it. Yep. Our industry has not been good to the talent and the worker and the person that's either trying to better themselves in this industry or the person that simply just wants to provide a living for their family. I, it's a I tough know. life. It is a very it's tough a really hard existence. Life. Even on our side of the business and the distribution, it's it's very difficult. We could talk for hours with Chris. Chris you're going to have to come back. Thank you, guys. An honor. An honor. Thank you so much for being here with us, your time, your great energy. He's you are on, awesome. He's on Instagram at Christian Petroni. You got to follow him. Christian Pepperoni. Christian Petroni Pepperoni. Go to Parmapalooza and see him on August 21st. Yeah. Stanford, Connecticut. That's going to be yeah, tickets are available on um, um, Hey Stanford Food Festival, or you can just, if you can't figure it out, just write me a DM and we'll send you on and we'll get you right where you need to be. You know what I mean? Today's episode is sponsored by Ambrosi Food USA, makers of amazing Parmigiano Reggiano cheese. We're really excited to have Giacomo Veraldi on from Ambrosi Food USA. I guess we just want to talk to you a little bit about Parmesan as an ingredient. It's the king of cheese. Yeah, yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. So tell us about the history of Ambrosi. Based in Emilia-Romagna. Ambrosi is a family-owned company. Uh, there is uh, actually behind the name Ambrosi, there is a man named Ambrosi. <laughs> Our founder founded the company in 1942, so during World War II. The beginning, we were just like producing butter. And then we, we went into the cheese in the 50s. And we started our uh, production of Parmigiano early in the in the in the 60s. And since then, we you know develop our farms and our creamery uh, in order to uh, increase the production. And then the company eventually became bigger and bigger. We started aging cheese for other little producers. So today we are really happy to have a good facility. We control the whole program, like from the grass. <laughs> And you know, in Parmigiano Reggiano, it's all natural. So mm -hmm. cows can only eat grass. 
from the region actually and then uh, we have so we have the creamery we have the aging we have the conversion plant and then we export we do have the ambrosi food usa which is the import company in the us and so basically chef for us is a direct contact with the i would say with a cow if you want but you can say at least with the producer Talking about Parmigiano Reggiano, when a chef is buying it, when a consumer is going to the market to buy it, how do they know when they're getting good Parmigiano cheese? Because there's been stories in the you know in the newspapers you know a few years ago about additives in the cheese. What's the secret to somebody buying it? How do they know they're uh, getting quality? So first of all, Parmigiano Reggiano. I mean, there is a consortium which is like a sort of an organization that checks the quality of the cheese. So only the cheese approved by the consortium is the original Parmigiano Reggiano. And the consumers and also the chefs can clearly understand that from a ceiling that is on the packaging, if it's a pre-pack or from a wheel, it has an extra stamp of approval from the consortium. So the consortium is a third party that goes and check that the, all the production follows certain rules. In the Parmigiano-Reggiano, there are different ages, and that's one of the uh, the variable that you have, on, not only just on price, but also on quality. So from 18 months over of age, uh, let's say the cheese becomes really crunchy, you can start stealing and seeing the white spots on the cheese, and that's the sign of time, and that's the tyrosine. So it's like basically we love those. Cr- those we love little, those uh, little crunchies in our parm. Yeah, the, those the crunches is like it's actually the uh let's say the lactose that becomes galactose like it's it's that's why the product is lactose free actually the aging process get rid of all the lactose so also lactose intolerance people can use parmigiano reggiano have no problem that's that's that's, amazing the second thing is like the color and this is more about the the flavor of profile that that a chef is looking for or a consumer is looking for as you know it's a natural cheese and this cheese uh comes from a very small region in italy which is four province which is parma Modena, Reggio Emilia, and a little bit of uh, Bologna. The region is really full of hills and mountains. Since the cows, as I said, I mentioned before, they eat only grass. If you have a farm that has cows around in the flat, they're going to have like more grass and and the milk is going to be like more rich, but less color. Once you go up to the mountain, you have like more flowers. So the flowers, and especially during the spring and the summer, we have a lot of those. The wild they are flowers. They're called lion tooth, the yellow flowers. And those mm-hmm. flowers actually color the milk somehow. And so you have a, a little bit more yellow cheese during the summer. So the cows eat the, fla- um, the flowers and it yeah, makes colors the milk yeah, a specific color. That's pretty color. amazing. My job, like, I love it. It follows the nature. Summer Parmigiano is, has more color. The cheese is darker. And the winter Parmigiano is uh, It's like a whiter white. color? A more pale. Yeah, yeah we, a whiter color because, you know, it's still grass, but it's dry grass. Yeah, at uh, Chef's yeah. Warehouse, we actually have some chefs who will specify that they want a summer cheese, a summer Parmigiano. Mm-hmm. And yeah. there are actually even some that prefer the lighter color and will ask for a winter cheese. It's really amazing how they respect the, you know, the the natural occurrence of what the cows are eating and, and the variation in the cheese. Yeah. We talk yeah. about, you know, Parmesan is the, the king of cheese. How is yeah. it, you know, in Italy... Do people eat it every day? Yeah. Parmigiano is like a, in Italy is like a must. Like everybody eats Parmigiano. Why? It's pretty it, it's simple. It's a, such a, a flexible cheese. You can have it as a table cheese, which is great. And you can have it at the end of the meal. But basically, and mainly Italians has uh, some extra aged cheese as a table cheese, like Parmigiano, which is aged over 24 or 30 months, something like that, just to keep it at the end of the meal. But normally they use a lot of 18 months grated on pasta. And since pasta is basically every day, meal in Italy uh, still today the, the Mediterranean diet is still requires a lot of carbs 
and uh, we love to put Parmigiano on top of pasta. So that's why we, we can say that at least north of Italy, we eat at least one ounce of Parmigiano a day in the normal meals. South of Italy, you know, there is a little bit more influence of uh, Pecorino Romano. That's more that. But still, Parmigiano is, is eaten also in, uh, um, in south of Italy. One of the things I love about Parmigiano, and maybe it's me, I feel that there's such a great rapport between what I'll call the three biggies of Emilia-Romagna. Parmigiano Reggiano, Prosciutto di Parma, and the balsamic vinegar of Modena. They all go so yeah. well together, just on their own. You don't need to. They're very simple. No, no adulteration to any of those products. They're all good on their own, but together, I think, drizzling balsamic on the Parmesan, wrapping it in prosciutto, it's a pretty good bite. It's, it's a very flexible cheese, as I said. You can have it at the beginning of a meal. Like, you know, we also grate the Parmigiano, how we do the crisps. We grate a little bit of Parmigiano. We just put on a parchment paper, put it in a microwave oven until it bubbles, and then it becomes like a crisp. And that will be with a, with a glass of wine. Uh, like the aperitivo for us. So we start with that. And also with Cuban, like really breaking down the, a little bit of Parmigiano and having that. You have it, of course, on the pastas, grated on top, or you can have it in a second, in the a, in a main course. Normally you have carpaccios, you have like shaved Parmigiano on top. Even now with meat, it's really popular to put some Parmigiano on meat, also on a steak, which is like something that I didn't re recall in the past. But now I'm recently, I traveled recently, two weeks ago, I was in Italy and I saw that now Parmigiano is actually used, utilized a lot uh, on steaks. And then at the end of the meal, they said that a piece of Parmigiano will like uh, make your mouth really, really uh, comfortable. And uh, I know, but I haven't tried yet, but I know that they also use a dessert. Like I know there is an ice cream. Uh, or a gelato made uh, based on Parmigiano. So actually, it's really you can really use it um, for for many, 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 many scopes in the kitchen. So it's amazing. I can tell you, and this is a little bit of a secret, but Andrea has a secret desire to work in a Parmigiano factory aging room <laughs> because Ooh. she knows that there's a job that involves taking a little hammer and tapping on the cheese. Yes, I've heard that that's how you can tell how aged the Parmesan is. So I'm hoping that you guys are hiring. Yeah. <laughs> what you exactly go, goes actually, on with that hammer? You, know, you can go, you can have a master, uh, a master um, professor in that. We have our vice president. The vice president, it's 96 years old. He started working for our company in 1947. He's still in the office. Wow. I'm not joking. He's still there. Amazing. And he is the cousin of the founder. So Mr. Ambrosi's cousin. So See, Andrea, actually, she's so yeah. smart. She knew that's a, that that job is so good that you yeah. want you don't quit working when you're 65 <laughs> or 70. The guy I'll loves have his a work job for the rest of my life till you're 96. God bless him. It's that's 96. amazing. Mr. Giuseppe <laughs> is still there. Is still there. Our VP, our vice president. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for joining us today on Ingredient Insiders. It's been a fascinating conversation about Parmigiano Reggiano and Ambrosi and, and the amazing relationship that you have with Chef's Warehouse. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me there. And so, Andrea, I'm, send I'm your resume to Giacomo. You're yeah. going to get an email from me shortly. <laughs> okay. You're hard. No problem. Head, head cheese tapper. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening to this episode of Ingredient Insiders. Like what you hear? Write us a review and let us know what you think. You can find us on Instagram at, at @ingredientinsiders. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. On the next episode of Ingredient Insiders, we're exploring tomatoes on and off the vine, 
Our good friend and chef Dan Richer of Razza Pizza Artigianale in Jersey City, New Jersey joins us for a fun conversation about the art of the tomato and how it influences his pizza recipes. We'll also be joined by Kim West of Muti Tomatoes. If you are not familiar with Muti Tomatoes, these are the go-to tomatoes for all Italian grandmothers and mothers in their home kitchens in Italy. If that doesn't tell everybody listening here enough about the quality of that tomato, I don't think anything will. You will not want to miss this episode.